Hello and welcome to episode 395 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and, uh, well, we have three panelists here, including myself, who became the hero of Ferelden, and, but maybe things didn't go quite as planned. Uh, to, we're here again for another episode on Dragon Age Oranges, which I'm aware is actually Oranges, uh, Origins. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's, already, it's, already, it's already started. I'm going to be interchanging those two words the entire episode because that's how I've been like half-jokingly, half-seriously calling this game for 12 or 13 years. But who's joining me in our citrus-flavored journey? They are Alex Franischek. Hello. And Wes Island. Hi, everybody. Alex and Wes, uh, we were very excited excited to talk about the world setup and lore and sort of the beginning of Dragon Age Origins last episode. But all three of us have finished the game. Um, all three of us had had different Grey Warden origins and uh, and and classes even. So I'm sure things didn't go quite the same for each of us. But uh, Alex, uh, with no disrespect to Wes, I am a little more interested in your opinion here because this is your first time playing Dragon Age Oranges. Uh, so, uh, abridged version, what were your overall impressions playing DAO for the first time? I'd say my overall impressions were very strong. I mean, like I covered in the previous episode, I've played, yeah, pretty much all the other Bioware stuff during their, their heyday, um, already, but, uh, the Dragon Age series is just one that completely passed me by for whatever reason, and, uh, honestly, like, Dragon Age uh, oranges might just be um my favorite out of at least like the classic bioware formula era so like basically like knights of the old republic until dragon age um i thought it was like it had like kind of the the dark fantasy slash kind of whimsical writing of like baldur's gate it had the more streamlined but very functional and satisfying combat of of knights of the old republic and uh it had the very very solid character writing of mass effect and i think all that just combined together pretty smoothly into what was just a really solid western rpg one that's um balanced like really strong role playing with uh cool companions and just uh, a nice world to get to know so um overall like this was just uh very positive impression of this game. I'm pretty glad I, I played it before I've gotten around to Baldur's Gate 3, which is definitely something I want to do and has <laughs> just recently won Game of the Year at the Game Awards. Just because this was like, it seemed to be like a um, kind of a sort of spiritual predecessor to, to BG3 in a way where it took like kind of the, the CRPG formula and applied it to a more like polished, modern, and, and console accessible experience. So I'm glad I got to to experience this before I see uh, all the the great stuff I'm sure they do with in Baldur's Gate three. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, Larian Studios Baldur's Gate three is I, I feel like that's a game that's going to be written about because not only was it overwhelmingly popular and well written and satisfying in many ways, uh, I also have not played it um, uh, for the record, but uh, it had a very lengthy sometimes troubled sometimes overall impressive uh development history so like when the oral history of that game's development um is recorded somewhere somehow i would love to read it but Absolutely. this is not a Baldur's gate 3 podcast uh maybe that is a spoiler cast we could do in the future but uh um i, I mean you mentioned this is maybe one of your favorite bioware games from that 03 to 20, uh, 2014 heyday um it, it, my favorite is either oranges or mass effect 2 
yeah, I, I really Mass think Effect that is the only one that competes with it. Yeah. And uh, and Wes and I, you uh, you and I podcasted quite a bit about uh, the Mass Effect trilogy last year. So uh, so Mass Effect Two is fresh in both of our minds. Um, but uh, yeah yeah I, I I love this game. I played it um, multiple times in a row, uh, sort of on on my PS3 uh, over a decade ago. It, it's it wasn't my first Bioware game in this run that they've had, but it was the one that had the biggest impression on me uh, at at the time, and. Uh, uh, and I played Dragon Age Two and and Inquisition, but I I uh, and I like both of them, but I didn't really uh, get into them the same way I did into uh, the first Dragon Age. But but it has been something I don't know exactly how long, but at least eight or nine years since I've played it, uh, and it, it was familiar and nostalgic, but also uh, like I ran into things that I forgot or may, or perhaps never did, in, in a way that it was it was just. Even though this is not a cozy game, if it, it gave it gave a cozy feeling to me. <laughs> but uh, uh, Wes, um, this was also your first time playing Dragon Age Origins in a while. Uh, yes. How? Uh, what were your impressions um, on this run of it? You know, I'm I'm impressed at how well this holds up and how often I can play this game um, because this is my third full playthrough. And then you know I've run all the Origins. I've done a few things to kind of test around a bit, <clears throat> and it's still even though it's obviously a little bit older, the way that the combat works isn't the way that you would do it in the modern era. Um, it still feels good to play. And the role-playing remains the the best role-playing I've seen in a game. Um, Baldur's Gate 3 uh, comes close, but uh, actually feeling like I'm a character in this world and the way that I'm interacting with people is specific to my character. Um, you have so many dialogue choices and so many different ways to approach everything um, that nothing has really duplicated that for me since. And that might be the biggest strength of Dragon Age Origins for me. It's that the origins give you a unique feel for who your character is, and then they let you role play that out the rest of the game. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, the... Like, like, like crafting your character backstory is something that um, you're always given the opportunity to do in a tabletop RPG, but rarely are able to do in a uh, in a in, in a video game RPG. Mm -hmm. um, and the origins give you they give you basically six pre-made ones that inform the entire game and affect the entire game, and and they're just good. So like I I I know that um I I uh, Alex did Dwarf Noble and I did um, Human Noble this round, but. I still remember how my dwarf no noble run ten years ago went because I I, I really just I, I really like the arc of um of of being this this exiled prince of a uh, of a dwarven society that's really specific and not really like other dwarven societies in a uh, in in Western fiction um and but I but also specifically my uh <laughs> my my dwarf actually helped the uh prince balin reached the throne while alex i think your your dwarf noble uh, did the opposite is that right yeah i see sought brutal revenge on uh <laughs> little brother balin <laughs> yeah there's uh th there's like six or seven key decision points in dragon age oranges uh that really shape the entire world and can be carried through all the way to uh to dragon age inquisition which which came out five years after this game so uh, it, it's not quite as thorough and streamlined and, and well-connected as the Mass Effect trilogy. I mean, I think that's mostly because like Dragon Age Origins de uh, development was so 
uh, crunch heavy and sometimes difficult and delayed that I think parts of the game are held together by toothpicks and gumdrops. Um, that's also, I think, why we haven't gotten a Dragon Age Legendary Edition. We, we tried to speak it into existence last week, but since like looking into it more, it's like, oh yeah, like Dragon Age 1, 2, and 3 are all in different engines and uh and probably probably a lot of dao would have to be remade uh yeah. but they, they and they wouldn't like that but but uh but but yeah they, they give you these pre-made origins a lot of key decision points a lot of really fascinating lore and scenarios and um things will go very differently for every individual playing the game and uh and it's you'll still see the replica repercussions in dragon age inquisition it's it's really really good and it makes me excited to maybe replay two and three in 2024, but uh, that's speaking a little bit too soon. Um, let's go right into where we left off. We did we talked about all the introductory scenarios last episode, and we talked about the Circle Tower, which is sort of one of the four or five mid-game core quests. Um, let's talk about the Dalish camp and elves versus werewolves. This was my first quest that I did when I played this game for the first time in 2011 ish uh so it, it I, I remember it fondly for that uh reason but i think this is also maybe one of the smaller of the uh main scenarios in in dragon age origins so it's it's not a bad first one to handle and it is that slightly predictable bioware thing it's like okay there's a there's a mostly binary decision point it looks like there's one good and one evil but oh the good one's not actually good and the evil one's not actually so evil and if you have very high uh, persuasion skills or um or do things in a certain way and or uh then there is a way to have a you know a uh, a a most evil route and a most good route but nothing's totally satisfying or totally black and white that's kind of how bioware was writing games <laughs> in the 2000s yeah. and early 2010s but it, it's i think it's a very good one of those um it uh it it made the werewolves. I mean, uh, the werewolf character models are a little awkward, especially how they'll sort of bob up and down in their idle animations. <laughs> but uh, I think they were sufficiently brutal and grotesque looking, while also being kind of like cool. Yeah, maybe I can have a team of werewolves. Um, so uh, uh, without getting uh, too specific into it, um, there's a, a an elven village threatened by werewolves you discover the air the werewolves that were cursed were humans given the werewolf curse hundreds of years ago they're uh and they're led by a lady of the forest but uh it turns out the creator of the werewolf curse is the uh village chief so you can choose to kill all the werewolves um kill all the uh inside with the elves kill all the elves inside with the werewolves or kill just the lady of the forest and the village elder to free the werewolves from their curse and get uh and but and then get a bunch of elves on your side, which is sort of the high persuasion check, uh, uh, goodest option. So, uh, how did this uh scenario go for y'all? Starting with you, Wes. Yeah, I um, I wanted to broker as much of a piece as I could, so I I took that third route. Um, it's kind of interesting because you start feeling for the werewolves partway through. Um, because they've been through hell and back, but also at this point in the Dragon Age series, the Dalish elves are this like kind of rarity that that you don't want destroyed because it feels like there's there's so few people quote unquote keeping the old ways. So they're both kind of compelling to try to help. Um, ultimately, I, I leaned a little bit more on the elf side. Um, no real reason, just 
felt like at this playthrough. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we touched upon it last week, but um, elves in Dragon Age are a persecuted people. They yes. were the most powerful civilization on Thetis, like hundreds or perhaps over a thousand years ago. Um, but the humans sort of uh, defeated and enslaved them, and the elves nowadays are either uh, like like second class citizens or they escape to the woods and are trying to reclaim their old ways. And uh, this is one of the more successful Dalish tribes I know of. But but yeah, yeah um, the, the Dalish elves actually have a more prominent role in uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, where you actually meet uh, two of the gods that, are, that you see statues of in the Dalish village in, in Origins. Yeah, they, you dig a lot deeper into the origins of the Dalish and what they get right, what they get wrong, all that fun stuff. Um, which is fun following through because you get different sides of the Dalish in each of the, the three Dragon Age games. And it's really cool to see from different perspectives how the Dalish kind of work and how they, they got to the point where they're at now. Yeah. Yeah. For, for Origins, they're, they're definitely framed like uh, as pretty like uh, brutal like victims of, of human humanities like conquering of them and stuff and i i guess that's what makes the ethical decision here a bit more interesting is that sathrian is so like overcome with uh with grief regarding like his people and like his loved ones that were uh betrayed and tortured and killed by like humans and they became these werewolves and he just can't let go of that uh the desire for revenge against them so i, I thought that was like a, a really uh, important detail that just added a little bit more like social nuance to the situation prevented it from getting like too black and white but ultimately yeah i, I went with the uh persuasion check and i i got um sathrian to to sacrifice himself for for his people um which just seemed like uh it was, it was a pretty easy decision to make compared to some of the other ones in this game i felt yeah this one was a little bit more I don't want to say binary, but there there were some choices that felt quote unquote better than others in in this particular one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Dragon Age Origins mostly does a good job of not having every decision be a binary good evil decision. Uh, and we mentioned this in the previous episode how it mostly just re it just reflects your opinion within your companions than uh, any you know meter that you're filling in the game. But in in this, I, th I think. Like, like it really is um, siding with the oppressed people or massacring the oppressed people mm -hmm. uh, with 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 the Dalish. It's 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 kind of hard to be you know um, to 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 ju justify to justify the colonizer as it were. Uh, but uh, and, and but the, the struggle of the Dalish does carry through to um, the other games. Um, the, there's a Dalish elf origin in Dragon Age Origins, and one of the minor characters from the origin uh, is a companion in Dragon Age Two. I mentioned that there's uh, elven gods uh, that you actually meet in Dragon Age Inquisition. This quest seems small and innocent compared to the nonsense in Orzammar or the Urn of Sacred Ashes, but uh, it it has it has it sets up stuff in future games. It's uh, I, I think it's still a good part of it. It is, yeah, yeah, and uh, the the forest itself as like a dungeon um, had like that little bit of puzzle solving where you had to like talk to the tree you had to like find his branch and that got you through like the mist and oh, yeah. which oh, added a bit more the, the flavor tree that to speaks in rhyming couplets <laughs> yeah yeah that, that tree was a, a great little npc to, to uncover and then you go to that like 
hermit's camp and, and he's totally crazy i just like went right for the treasure and then he attacked me i'm not sure if there's a a better way to get out of that situation but uh uh, I, I kind of had to kill that hermit and felt felt a little bad afterwards. I just traded for his items. Uh, I, I I mostly tried to be on the straight and narrow, uh, doing like like pro uh, pro uh, pro survival uh, <laughs> options in this game. So I, I uh, like Wes. I I did the third option of of you know um, of only killing Zathrian and the Lady of the Woods, but the uh, uh, and but I, I didn't get to make every bloodless decision I wanted to, especially in the uh, in in the DLC, which we might talk about later. But anyway, that was the Dalish cat camp. Now I want to talk about the maybe my favorite part of the entire game, um, Orzammar and the Dwarven civilization. I, I mentioned that I love the Dwarf noble origin. Um, I love Dwarven society. It's so it's it's so weird and specific and heavily politicized. Where there's um. Where, where, uh, like, it, it's they're they're probably less sexist than most other societies like this in in fiction, but also uh, like like more classist than than anyone. But and there's murder in the street, but also uh, a lot of political ma- machinations. It's it's like almost if um a modern democracy was combined with like a modern uh crime syndicate. And uh, and but but otherwise a uh, a uh, a sort of but otherwise a mostly a meritocracy. It's it's so weird uh, that and I kind of love it and I just love the drama of Orzammar. Um, that uh, there's two people vying for the throne after uh, uh, the Idukan king uh, uh, passed away um, sometime after the dwarf noble origin, and um, that your choices are Lord Harrowmont, who was the king's close friend. And Prince Balin, who was the youngest of the three children of the previous king, um, and and uh, and Harrowmont is a more obviously good person, but he's also a little bit set in his ways and wants to sort of continue dwarven traditions. While Balin is clearly an asshole, but also wants to have fewer restrictions in the class system, uh, and and possibly and give more rights to castless. And and uh, and and move uh, increased trade with people on the surface and things like that. So so Balin is a, a jerk but progressive, and Harrowmont is kind but a conservative, and uh, it it doesn't look like either is the best option. And uh, th- this time around again again I was playing a human. I went with Balin just because I, I I think he I think he creates a more interesting future for the uh, for the dwarf civilization. And uh, but you, you have to do a couple tasks for uh, whichever one you choose to support, including shutting down a uh, um, some some criminals in the in the dwarven sort of uh, low city. But uh, also ultimately competing sort of, in the tournament is uh, was a really cool touch. Oh yeah, I think there. that's only for, I think that might only be for Harrowmont. Oh, that's only for Harrowmont. Oh yeah, uh, for for Balin, he has you explore a uh, an optional corner of the deep roads. Um, to expose a, a a mistake that Harrowmont made, where he pla- he uh, Harrowmont promised the same lands to do different two different no- noble houses, and Balin realizes Harrowmont's mistake and jumps in on it. So you have to find the uh, the documents, the, uh, uh, basically cheating the the other two houses. I, I, again, the, like there's like the 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 dwarven civilization is full with mur- murder, but also bureaucracy in a way that I just find so hilarious. Uh, 
But but yeah, I supported Balin and uh, Alex. You supported Height Haramont. I sure did. But uh, it wasn't <laughs> mostly um, like I, I can totally see your argument that like Balin is ultimately better for dwarven society and uh, like a more progressive option and, and pragmatic option. And really, the character I was playing um, was like a, a pragmatist, like above all else. Like it just made sense for. Um, how I kind of came out of the Dwarf Noble origin, became a Grey Warden, and really kind of just internalized that that sense of duty of just like, okay, killing the Darkspawn, not only is it like the greatest honor my Dwarf could have as a warrior, but it's also like by far the most important political thing going on in all of Ferelden, including all like the Dwarven kind of politicking. Uh, but at the same time, just the fact that Balin betrayed me and I kind of felt... Like, my character had a lot of pride. I, c I could not put that pride behind me. And uh, that combined with, like, a sense of duty towards, um, like, uh, the Dwarf Noble's father, who I think it's written in some um, one of the pieces of lore that uh, you're his favorite uh, child, ultimately. So those two things together just made siding with Haramont just feel like a natural option to me, despite uh, any other kind of reasoning I could bring into it. Uh, so, so I went all in for that and and sought my revenge and and that was great and um, <laughs> it was it was very satisfying the way it all played out. Um, weirdly enough, uh, I also uh, ultimately I I guess I kind of screwed Orzammar over in a lot of ways because I also decided not to destroy uh, the anvil, um, which is like oh uh, yeah, which I'm sure you'll get into a second. It's just like um, this thing that. Um, this tool that's used to essentially create golems out of what's revealed to be um, living creatures' souls, and a lot of them have been used to um, out of, out of dwarven souls. So, like, like uh, yeah, basically, this this old dwarven king used his own people to create these uh, weapons of destruction, who are kind of just semi sentient, it seems. Um, but it's really yeah, an well, well, the, the anvil is basically the second half of the uh, of the Orzammar quests in the in the game. Um, the, you have the succession conflict, and then they have then the uh, uh, and then you have to search for Branca in the deep roads, and we'll get to her in a minute. But um, before we talk about golems a little bit more, Wes, um, how, what was your choice that you made in the Dwarven Succession Wars? So uh, I sided with Haramont, who I know from the epilogue is not the best choice. But uh, my character had this kind of uh, suffer not D-bags kind of mode going, um, where if anyone was a huge jerk, uh, she would pretty much make it her goal to make their life a little bit worse. So <laughs> Balin didn't really stand a chance at that I, point. I, 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 I don't really know how I would say this, but um, I, I think I tried to make my, um, my Grey Warden um, pragmatic, but also not very empathetic. Like, like he'll try to pick the uh, choice where the most people survive most of the time. But uh, like, like in, in Awakening, I chose to protect um, the merchant routes instead of the poor farmers or the, or the wealthy nobles. Like, like I'm just like, I, I only care about uh, de defeating the Darkspawn. Like, mm -hmm. a little bit fixated on, on what I can do to kill the most Darkspawn. But uh, when, but, but for the most part, um, Picking more good options than bad, but but like like I I mean I I I feel like I sided with the mages because 
I didn't. I, I thought that mages would be too useful in the, against against the dark spawn. And I um like you, I actually chose not to destroy the anvil because I thought that hey, I want I might want some golems to fight the dark spawn. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, and then that goes into the second half of the uh the dwarven quests. Uh, again, the um um you you sort of pick your side, and uh and then no matter which side you choose, they uh uh the the dwarf no the dwarf noble that you support wants you to locate Branca, who was a dwarven paragon searching for the anvil of the void. The anvil of the void is the artifact that creates golems. Um, like Alex mentioned earlier, you don't learn until near the end of the quest that the golems aren't made from nothing. It it requires a living soul, uh, and a lot of uh, and a lot of um, a, a lot of metal and materials or stone to uh, to make a golem. And uh, you there's a golem you can recruit into your party optionally before then. Um, and and that's Shale. Uh, we I think we maybe mentioned her a little bit before. But uh, you can meet a golem that was a lawn decoration in a small town for many years. But then you find the control rod that revives her. Um, she's a, a a very funny, very sarcastic companion that can deal a lot of damage at once. Uh, Shale has like four forms that uh, she can switch between. But if you bring Shale to the Anvil of the Void quest, and you um, and she learns that uh, they're made from uh, from the souls of of living beings. Then she'll be enraged if you uh, if you decide to keep the uh, to keep the anvil, but um, so, but also alternatively, if you go there and you meet Branka, the dwarf that's trying to get to the anvil, and you bring along Branka's ex husband uh, Ogren, who joins you right before that quest, uh, and you side against Branka, Ogren will get angry and you'll lose uh, support with him. Um, Ogren's his own. Do you uh, do you bag lose him altogether? <laughs> No, I think you. I think you just. I think he stays with you, but you just uh, lose. Um, but you just get some minus affection. But yeah. I, I think Shale, if you bring okay. her along, and you and you side with Bronca over Keridin, then uh, I think Shale does fight you, and you and you lose her. Okay, permanent. fair. Yeah, I didn't recruit Shale until uh, after I even completed this quest, so Shale still got a little upset at me, but uh, all was okay because then that essentially was like a smooth segue into her. Uh, companion quest, which required me to go back to the oh, I, roads. I, I, I did not bring Shale along for that part of the quest, and I straight up lied to her face, saying that there was oh, okay. that, that there was no that the an, that the anvil uh, that the uh, the anvil was there, but Caridin wasn't. Um, okay, I, I did tell the truth, so I guess that's some moral points for my character. <laughs> no, I, I wanted Shale on my team, but I also wanted more golems for the dark spawn. Uh, <laughs> Again, I'm, so I my, guess I'm the only one who destroyed the anvil. Huh? <laughs> this time around, it seems Looks that like way. It. <laughs> um, in, in my in my epilogue, uh, I got that uh, Balin was pressuring Branka to make more golems, and at first she acquiesced, but uh, eventually um, uh, Balin wants uh, her to make golems only in service of the king and uh, and and no other dwarven noble houses. So Branka like seals the uh, uh, Caridin's fortress. And actually ends up like defending it from other dwarves, uh, oh so because ba- because, ba- because Balin tries to seize the anvil. It's it's kind of it's kind of great, but it's it's in character for both of them. Because when, when you meet Branka, um, she's not a kindly dwarf or uh, 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 like genius inventor, like it was indicated before. Um, she is definitely a genius inventor, but she is a sociopath obsessed with getting the anvil of the void. Uh, she killed almost her entire clan. Um, trying to. Um, break the traps on the way to, on the way to the anvil, and at least two of the uh, of the women in her um 
clan were captured by Darkspawn, and one turns into a broodmother, and the other one is in the process of turning into a broodmother. And uh, we, we haven't mentioned broodmothers today or last week yet. Um, this is one of the most grotesque parts of the game, where you learn how Darkspawn are created. Um, <laughs> because uh, Darkspawn, who again, which again look like demons or orcs or goblins, just sort, sort of fantasy monsters, they kidnap females from civilized species, um, force them to eat Darkspawn flesh and, other, and the flesh of other beings, which uh, with some ritual transforms them into tentacled monsters capable of breeding many, many Darkspawn. And so you, you fight one of them um, just before, it was sort of in the middle of the Deep Roads quests. And it's gross. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was and, disturbing. Uh, and maybe, yeah, a little disturbing if you didn't know about it ahead of time. And uh, especially since you you fight one that's a fully grown brood mother, but you meet another dwarf that uh, was Bronca's lover. Apparently, um, uh, Bronca was a closeted member of the LGBT community. Um, Argrin was literally her beard. Um, and uh, but like, so Bronca betrayed the woman she loved to turn her into a monster because she's so fixated on the anvil of the void. Yeah, Bronca's yeah. not the best person no it does not feel great siding with her but i did anyway <laughs> yeah she uh she didn't pass my jerk test so she had to go yeah bronca's still alive for me but it's, it's partly because Ogren was also in my party it was partly because i was a dwarf and she was a paragon so it felt like i should have like more respect for that aspect of the culture but yeah in the end i i, I feel like i really uh did my own city a little dirty <laughs> Hey, I, I wanted to save the dwarves, but I also wanted golems, so my uh, my um, choices were clear. But uh, and those and using those I, golems at the end of the game were quite fun, gotta say. Yeah, when you get recruits, um, at the end of the game, I, I think golems might be the strongest ones. I just kept pressing that bolt golem button, and none of them even even ever died. They were they were just very useful, um, living battering rams. But anyway, um, that's the Orzammar section of the game. The one we haven't talked about yet is Redcliffe, sort of the uh, the human city that you support, it, and it sort of is a, is two combined quests as well. The Arl of Redcliffe, which I, again again Arl, Ban, Tarn are all sort of just made up uh, names for lords. The Arl of Redcliffe is um, uh, uh, Alistair's guardian from uh, from many years ago, so he's familiar with the with that city. Um, it's under siege from undead. You need to you need to protect the city from one wave of undead, then sneak in under uh, in the cover of night to get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem ended up being uh, pretty fascinating to me, actually. Uh, the young boy, the Arl's son, um, is a t has the t talent to be a mage. So, but the but uh, the Arl's wife um, did not want to give up uh, her son to the to the Templars and become a, secu a secluded mage for the rest of his life. So she secretly had him tutored by a by a rogue by an apostate mage who's in the mage origin. So, uh, uh, Wes, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll ask you about that uh, in a moment. Yeah. Um, but basically, the young boy loses control of his powers, becomes the thrall of a demon, and the demon's the one that's been summoning undead in in uh, in Redcliffe. So your your first order of business is resolving the possessed child part of the Redcliffe quests. And the second part is um, curing the illness of the Arl of Redcliffe, who was poisoned by the by the mage tutor of the boy. Um, but the, that mage tutor character 
is uh, a minor character in the in the Circle Mage origin. So, so Wes, did you have um uh, different interactions with with that character? Was his name uh, Jowan? Jowan, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he and I, you know, he's kind of your friend in the Circle Quest, uh, a close friend of yours. So, uh, we definitely had a lot to say. I had sold him out at the end of the Circle because uh, one of the other things about my character is that they were big into the the Circle of Mages as a as an institution. Um, so when he kind of broke the rules, my character was not <laughs> afraid to to sell him out. Um, so, so your he, character was maybe a little bit more similar to Win and Attitudes than to Morrigan and Attitudes. Yes. Um, and uh, when when you meet up with him again, uh, he was not happy to see me, and then he very quickly turned to happy to see me once he realized he might die, and I was the only one who could save him. Um, so I I went I went like a little bit of a softy and let him go, but um, you know, told him never come back here. Um, here you will die if we see you again. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways the um that part of the quest can play out, and uh, and it, they're all pretty interesting. Um, uh, basically, there's a blood magic ritual you can use to jump into the dream the dream the boy is having uh to save uh to save him from the demon. But to do that, there will either have to be a blood sacrifice or you need a bunch of mages channeling it at once. So if you've already done the Circle Tower quests, you can go there and bring a bunch of mages and have nobody die. Um, if, if not, uh, then the boy's mother will volunteer herself or you can force Jowen to be the blood sacrifice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But in the dream, uh, only a mage can um, take care of that. So you either need a mage from your party, which can be yourself, the Grey Warden, or Morrigan, or Win, or have Jowan uh, uh, go in, go in there and do that as well. But it won't go very well if you force Jowan into the dream to take care of it. Um, and also, the only way to learn the Blood Mage specialization is to have your character be a mage and jump into the dream and then make a deal with the demon inside. Uh, I, I didn't. My character wasn't a mage. I couldn't do that. So I just picked Morrigan and had her crushing prison every single thing in that uh, in that uh, in in the dream world. Crushing prison, my probably my favorite spell. It's so good, especially if you if you're an ice mage. Oh yeah, uh, I uh, yeah, you can turn something to ice with like winter with uh with like cone of cold, and then crushing prison to smash it. So, <laughs> so uh, they, they they expand on those systems with uh, magic interactivity in Dragon Age Two and Inquisition, and then uh, Larian, who we mentioned way way earlier in the show. Uh, did some pretty impressive stuff with uh, interacting magic and elemental systems in Divinity: Original Sin one and two that carried into Baldur's Gate three. But we're not gonna we're not here to talk about those. Uh, there's a lot of ways this this can go, but it ultimately is like it's it ultimately comes down to like sort of how magically prepared are you for this event? And I, I'm not sure if you're allowed to just wait and recruit the Circle Mages later. I, I'm, I don't know if you're punished for. Waiting a long time. I I had already done. Circle you are Tower. not punished. Okay, okay. So you can just sit around, have him sit around, uh, with a knife to the Arl's throat forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to wait yep. to get the mages. Um, Redcliffe was like the second to last one I did, so I was I was well prepared uh, going into there. Yeah, Redcliffe was my actually my first one that I did, so uh, I didn't know any of this stuff about like the circle of mages, um, being able to to come into the play at the end here so uh when isolde offered to sacrifice herself i'm just like yeah okay 
<laughs> uh, sound, sounds reasonable. Sounds, sounds like a, a good solution. And uh, yeah, then then I sent Morgan in and uh, yeah, got, got through it like that. But I think um, choosing that option gets, gets you uh, a lot of hate from, from some of your companions. I don't think even Morgan liked it because I, I forced her to go in and, and deal with the problem. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was not a super popular decision with my companions, but it sure got the job done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was able to have a bloodless solution. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't unlock Blood Mage myself because so uh, I'll have to unlock it for the first time in a possible future playthrough. And, and again, I, I played this game originally on the PS3, and now I'm playing it on PC, so I don't have all of my goodies unlocked. Oh, and I think I uh, I mentioned. I was confused why I didn't have the uh, Blood Dragon armor unlocked in this game because that's normally free armor that you get for uh, uh, w with any of the expanded versions of Dragon Age. It, it's attached to the servers. So oh. because, because the Dragon Age Origin servers are down, you, they can't perform the handshake required to um, unlock the uh, Blood Dragon armor. Well, that's interesting. So I, 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 yeah, unless you have it in a save on an older version of the game, I don't think there's a way to get it anymore. That must but, have been uh, how I got I got away with it. Yeah, but but I I I didn't have it. I I probably still have it if I do a new file on the PS3, but I don't think I can get it anymore now. Um but but you but even though the servers are down, you can still import a save from Dragon Age Origins into Dragon Age 2 as long as they're on the same system, which I looked into because I am very interested in perhaps doing a playthrough of Dragon Age 2 now. <laughs> but but anyway, um, that's how the first half of Redcliffe goes. Um, but uh, the Arl of Redcliffe is still uh is still incapacitated at the end, and can only be cured with a pinch from the urn of sacred ashes, uh, which is the sort of last of the mid game quests that we're here to discuss. Uh, you start out by uh, a by hearing about this um urn that a bunch of knights from Redcliffe and Denerim were sent to find. Uh, there is a uh. There's a, a scholar named Brother Genitivi who has been looking for the urn for his whole life, and but but he's gone missing. So it's like it's a mix of following the trails of these knights, following the trail of Genitivi. It leads you to a uh, um, a a very small village called Haven that has a cathedral at the end of it, and then you learn basically slowly that the uh, urn of sacred ashes, which is the remains of Andraste, the prophet of the Chantry religion. Are uh was were stored in a holy site. In um in the mountains, and Haven was built around it to guard it, and uh either the maker or a mage or someone summoned a dragon to guard the urn so no one would ever touch them, and the uh, the, the village of Haven were the caretakers of this temple and this dragon. But over the centuries, um the villagers of Haven started sort of like moving away from the teachings of the chantry because they were so isolated. And uh, instead of having a female-dominated uh, uh, church, they started having male-dominated um, uh, church officials, and they started worshiping the dragon instead of the urn. So over, again, centuries, uh, this, uh, this one offshoot of the Andraste church uh, became sort of a cult, a dragon-worshiping cult. And uh, so it, you, when when they find out you're looking for the urn and looking for brothers in a TV, the villagers become hostile. You have to fight through a bunch of cultists. You eventually uh, uh, find them raising Drakelings. Uh, you have the option to fight a dragon, but it's uh, it's strictly optional. The, uh, although the rewards are very good. I, I recommend fighting the dragon if you're high enough level. Uh, and 
the, the last hidden specialization in this game is if you decide to side with the cultists and instead of uh, instead of kill all the cultists, they let you drink dragon blood and unlock the reaver specialization for warriors, which is sort of a dealing more damage at the expense of health kind of uh, job class. Uh, so you told us a little bit um, before we recorded, Alex, on how on what you did. But first, I'll, I'll say what I did um, because my um, my warden was interested in just safely reviving the Earl of Redcliffe and basically believes in the holy power of the Chantry. And also because I had Alistair Wynn and Leliana with me, <laughs> I just uh, I, I went with the pro Chantry, Chantry, pro Andraste options. I killed the cultists and found the urn. But the, the alternative option they give you is you have to fight through a bunch of cultists first, and then you speak to the leader of the cultists, and he says, all right, if you go find the urn through all of these trials and traps in the, in the, in the urn's hiding place, if you mix some dragon blood in with the ashes to corrupt them and make the, and make the, uh, urn, the urn's power our power instead of a holy power, then... Uh, then then we'll teach you reaver stuff and and give you anything else you need so it's basically siding with a cult to corrupt a holy relic of the chantry church um or, or is is the other option given to you uh but alex uh you did not do the same decision as i oh yeah cuz you see my my dwarf noble could not care any less about the chantry and obviously like the dwarven religion about the rock is is uh is much different and um all the spiritual kind of mumbo jumbo did not get through to him at all. So yeah, um with with Zevrin and Morgan as my uh enablers, they were just like, you know, this seems like a great idea. And like the egg ever pragmatist attitude that I was uh, approaching my role playing with, it seemed like, yeah, I'll I'll side with these cultists and maybe get some some cool powers or at least like uh, maybe they'll they'll join the army afterwards to fight the darkspawn maybe i'll even get a dragon to fight the darkspawn with me that didn't happen which was a little disappointing but i guess i can understand why um but yeah uh alistair was also with me and and he got uh, a little upset about the idea but with uh, a little persuasion check he was ultimately uh okay with it i think i lost some uh character points with him but not too many i'm not sure what would have happened if i if i failed that that persuasion check i, I wonder if he would have left me um but anyways I, I, or, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna interrupt for a second i don't think alistair can leave you until okay. much later um but i think that win and liliana both can okay. uh but liliana will stay with you if you did her character quests beforehand mm-hmm. and you'll, you'll just get disapproval with her but when I'm not sure there's a way to get win on your side about this, unless there's a truly insane persuasion check you can do. Yeah, no, because because after I, I went through with it, I desecrated the ashes. I drank the, the dragon's blood and got the reaver power, which was very cool. A uh, little addition to my tank character. Um, I went back to camp and uh, win somehow knew everything that I had done and, and was very disappointed in me and, and was up out of here. Um, but that's okay because I, I, I think we, she we literally whiners on the party. I think she might literally fight you if you take her along for the quest. But I, yeah, I, I, I think I did I read about that afterwards. Does. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'm glad yeah. I at least didn't have to kill the the old woman. But uh, yeah, um, it was a little unfortunate not having uh, access to a second mage for for Morgan's quest. But I'm getting ahead of myself there. Yeah, um, uh, Wes, I, I know you're mostly uh, trying to be a very good good mage in this game. So I'm 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 gonna assume uh, you did not corrupt the urn. Cultists were jerks. What can I say? Yep, my, they, my they definitely. Arrow. They definitely uh, uh, are confirmed jerks in your test. I'm not sure if that's passing or failing the jerk test, but they're but uh, yeah, those cultists are definitely jerks. Yeah, mm. jerks get uh get beaten up. That's just kind of how how it worked. So anyway, we're we're just gonna keep barreling through the story of this game. After you use the ashes to heal the RL of Redcliffe, he pledges soldiers to your cause, um, and then the the sort of the end game begins. We haven't really talked about Denerim much. Denerim is the capital city of this of uh of Thetis, or sorry, sorry, of Ferelden, which is a country in southeastern Thetis, which is the continent. Um, the uh, a, a couple things happen all at once. Uh, Denerim is a big capital city. There's a lot of stuff you can do in Denerim even before the end game. So uh, I was in and out of Denerim the entire game ahead of this, just trying to make money and do quests. I I became an assassin for the Antivan Crows after they failed to assassinate me, which is, which is a, a really fun little side quest you can do. Um, in, in, the, in, the, uh, uh, in the DLC Awakening expansion, you meet a guy who, cla- who claims to be the Wolf of Denerim, when really you know that you are the Wolf of Denerim. <laughs> so that's a, that, that's, a fun, that's fun dialogue if you've done that quest. But uh, the lands meet is basically something that a noble uh, of, uh, of sufficient standing can do in Ferelden society, where all the nobles come in to to basically uh, challenge the king's rule and possibly uh, possibly you know elect or um, put forth a new king, it, it's it's almost like just a uh, it's like a vote of no confidence slash um, there's a crisis and every noble needs to agree on something kind of thing, and so with uh, with the uh, accompanying the arl, and you have the support of the dwarves or elves or werewolves or templars or mages or you know the the end results of those mid game quests the lands meet is basically you going around denerim doing uh optionally doing quests to try and get nobles on your side you can um you you, you can rescue a nobleman's a lost son that's been in prison you can free a noble from that that's attached to a torture device in Arl Howe's dungeon uh, there's basically just a lot of stuff you can. Oh, and and if you complete those assassination quests I mentioned, then one uh, uh one noble whose um child was held hostage uh, at, uh joins you in the lands meet. Basically, you do a series of quests in town. You try to get the queen on your side and as many nobles on on your side as you can, and then eventually there's a vote. Uh, and whether you win or lose, you end up sort of uh, uh dueling Terran Logain. And um and see and seizing the power in uh Denarm one way or another one way or another before the final uh, fight against the Darkspawn. So there's a lot of ways the Landsbeat can go. It's one of the sort of defining mo- uh segments of Dragon Age Oranges. Uh, before I say what happened to me, um, Wes, how did the Landsbeat go for you? Pretty smoothly. Um. Loghain was the king of all jerks, so uh, I executed him uh, pretty quickly. Um, I put Honora and Alistair on the throne together, even though Honora's borderline jerk. 
um, it, it just made the most sense for those two to keep each other in check. Oh, yeah. I don't, know if, of them I, alone. I, I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but Alistair is actually King Kalen's half brother. He's, yes. the, he's the illegitimate child of the former king uh, and was and w- but was handed off to Arl to the Earl of Redcliffe to be uh, uh, you, you know, to be, to be raised as a uh, as the Earl's illegitimate son when really that wasn't the case. Blah, 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 blah. But you, you, one of the options is to make Alistair the new king. And so, so that, that's the way you went? Yes. Um, alongside making him marry Anora, which he wasn't super happy about. Um, but he learned to deal with. <laughs> I, I think Alistair will only marry Anora if you do his side quest with his, with his sister in Denerim. Mm-hmm. But it, it, might be, it might be that uh, you don't need to do that and he'll just be more amenable to it if you, if you do that side quest. I'm not sure exactly how it goes. Yeah, I did that side I, quest, I think so I'm I not looked sure. At, yeah, I think you do have to do the, the side quest. They, they, they call it uh, Hardening Alistair, uh, yeah. is what I was reading about. And, yeah, uh, Leliana also has an option to be hardened, uh, where you, um, her companion quest is meeting the former normal or legion normal, noblewoman that employed her. And if you kill the noble woman who also tries to kill you, um, and uh, and and basically tell Leliana she needs to, that that deep down you you are a spy and are and this is and you're not just a chantry sister, then then Liliana will basically be more agreeable to uh, anti chantry stuff you do going forward, which is uh, which is nice. And also to be gross for a second, um, you can get into a threesome with the pirate lady at the. Uh, at the brothel if you bring if you're in a romance with a hardened Alistair or a hardened Liliana or a foursome if you bring Zevran along as well so yeah um didn't have to do anything to Zevran to to get that option I bet correct (laughs) (laughs) so yeah not the most enlightened video game when it comes to relationships but uh yeah if you do enough character side quests you can uh have group sex with a pirate lady and she's in Dragon Age 2 as well (laughs) Yay, video games. Uh, oh, God. 2009 sure was a time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I was, I was in my mid-20s. I thought it was awesome. This is what we thought mature meant. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. RPGs are awesome now. I could do a uh, threesome. Yeah, this is a game for adults, man. <laughs> <laughs> Rated M for mature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, I, I was I, I'm not as excited by that kind of thing nowadays compared to again when I was in my mid twenties. But I'm not gonna lie to you, I maybe did hook up with the pirate lady and Zevran at the same time. Oh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you in the previous episode. I mentioned how uh, uh, uh excuse me in the previous episode I said Zevran is my least favorite of the four uh, love interests in this game. Well, I kind of accidentally entered a romantic relationship with him. <laughs> yeah, that's easy to do. Yeah, I, I think like Liliana liked me, but I, uh, but, decl- but uh, for some reason, I didn't find the dialogue to have her um, enter a relationship with me. But I extremely easily did that with Zevran, and so I'm like, all right, I, gu- I guess, uh, I, I mean, uh, I, I guess I'm just a very, very. Uh, bisexual guy who knows what he wants in this game so yeah uh, uh zevran was my boyfriend um unexpectedly in this playthrough i think i got that offer from zevran like literally the first time i talked to him in camp yep yep yeah, Sounds about right. that can happen <laughs> and zevran um in denerim during the lands meet if your relationship with him is high uh when when the assassins come to kill him and you 
uh, he'll he'll side with you. But Zevran can turn on you again if his, your relationship with him is low, and he'll go back to his uh, Antivan ex boyfriend, uh, and and you'll have to kill him. But um, I think oh, all of us all all of us probably had a good relationship with Zevran. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, we, we were buddies. So, uh, but yeah, but again, a lot of ways things can go wrong for your team in Dragon Age Oranges with every character other than your dog. Who's going to be with you, you no matter what. He's going to be with you through thick and thin. But anyway, back to the lands meet. Uh, so, Alex, uh, those decision points, how do they go for you? So, uh, pretty positively and, and pretty similarly to, to Wes. Um, so, I did most of the, the side quests for the different nobles. So, uh, got lots of favor uh, during the lands meet. Um, I, I feel like I should get into a bit about how my relationship with Alistair uh, has been throughout the game because it's actually pretty interesting and pretty rewarding narratively. Because uh, at first, like on one hand, like my warden was happy to just have like a fellow Grey Warden that survived the conflict uh, and was there traveling with him throughout like uh, all this preparation for the Darkspawn invasion. But at the same time, like from that hard uh, Dorvan Noble background, uh, I didn't have a lot of respect for Alistair. And, and the game's really generous with just giving you opportunities to, to tease the guy. And uh, I found those pretty hard to resist early on in the game. Um, so I actually had like, like a below average uh, companion rating with him for the first, like, a uh, bit of the game uh but then i started getting like a bit more respect for him as i kept him in my party just kind of for like entertainment value and he was another good warrior um so i he started growing on me a bit i started being like a little nicer to him a little more understanding after he confided in me about uh you know being the uh the bastard child of uh the royalty um so that slowly started getting better um i and then, like, just before the lands meet, um, he confided in me about Goldana. Um, and then I'm like, okay, uh, so, all right, yeah, let's, let's go see your sister in, in Denrim. And uh, I ended up, uh, you know, telling him that, you know, the, the, the world's a, a, a tough place. It hardened him. Uh, and so that was really uh, kind of like a turning point in the relationship with him. It was also absolutely necessary, it turned out, to do uh, what I wanted to do, which was, um, like Wes said, uh, convince Alistair and Honora to, to marry each other just because uh, her kind of clear ability to rule and his royal blood would, again, be the most pragmatic uh, solution for uh, this to, to go forward. So. Uh, I successfully ended up doing that, and just through all these like little circumstances and the way that the character uh, grew on me, I, I was able to achieve that um, that that ending for the lands meet. Uh, so I, I was really happy with that. I thought that was a great uh, arc for for me and Alistair to experience together. Even though he was uh, not not happy with the decision in the end, but uh, that that just felt uh, par for the course with our relationship. Oh, you think you made Alistair unhappy? Wait until you figure it out. Wait until you hear what I did. Um, I did try to uh, convince him to let Loghain become a Grey Warden, but once he basically gave me the the ultimatum, I I ultimately sided with him. Well, what what I did was um my feeling was uh, as a prag as a fellow pragmatic Grey Warden was that the the person that should rule is Anora. She she's you know a bit a bit of a jerk, 
but she's a good queen. She's uh, she's good at the political game. She's good at running a kingdom. And everyone knew that when she was married to Kaylin, even though she did love Kaylin, Kaylin was more into the pageantry of being a king, and she was more into the practicality of being a queen. Mm. So my feeling was, Honora should stay queen. Also, um, Loghain is a valuable asset as well. Like He was a brilliant general who was the best friend of King Merrick and was a commoner that was made into a noble purely through, uh, through effort and ability. So he would be an asset against the Darkspawn. So when I was given the option to exile, to uh, either execute him or, uh, or something else, I'm like, wait a second, what if I just use the, uh, the right of conscription and make him into a Grey Warden? So that's what I did. Alistair hated it. Um, and, I, and he said, okay, okay, fine, I'll be king. Just, just, just don't do this, please. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to make Loghain a Grey Warden. So what I did was <laughs> I made Loghain a Grey Warden. He's the secret uh, last unlockable character that we alluded to last week, Alex. That I, I truly was not sure if you were, were aware that uh, Loghain was recruitable or not. I was not, but that was, uh, that was really cool when I discovered that. Yeah, um, but uh, because the human noble is from a noble house, he's a, a Kuzland, and your uh, father was the Tarn of um, High Ever, which is you know a, a northern region of, uh, region of Ferelden. Um, I married Anora, exiled Alistair, and made Loghain oh, and and made Lo- and made Loghain my general. So if you have a, the human noble or um, origin, you can marry Anora. And I never, so cool. I've never done that before because I never carried a human noble origin all the way uh, to the end game. I uh, the four times I played the game um, ten years ago were a mage twice, a city elf once, and a dwarf noble once. Um, so yeah, I I became king. Exiled Alistair and uh, and Loghain basically replaced Alistair in my party. Um, I knew about this ahead of time, uh, so I and I was worried. I wasn't sure if I was going to execute Alistair or or have the option to exile him. So I unequipped his good weapons and armor ahead of time. I because again, I this, this is my fifth rodeo, so I, I should I should know by now. Uh, and Loghain was my tank for the final conflict, uh, and I'm basically happy with how it worked out. That that sounds like a cool cool uh, scenario to go through. Honestly, if uh, if I hadn't hardened Alistair and he didn't agree to marry Anora, I think I would have sided with Anora and Loghain too. But because that worked out, it just seemed like the way to go. But that is so cool that the human noble origin gives you that option because that uh, I mean that that's one reason to play through that origin alone. I feel. Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, this game is an investment. It's a. I mean, I think my total playtime was. Like like between forty five and fifty hours, so this is not a short game if you, if you do most of the things you can do. But I'm I'm glad that uh, this time I got to play it in a different way. Um, and I just recreated Alistair because uh, Loghain is a uh, his his default job is champion, which is a really good tanking class. He's a he's a, a natural so- sword shield warrior just like Alistair is. Uh, but yeah, so that's what I carried into the final conflict and. Depending on what choices you made, it is reflected in Dragon Age 2 and 3. Like I, when I played Dragon Age 3 years ago, um, I, I carried through my uh, playthrough where I made Alistair King and Queen uh, and Anora King and Queen. And they show up in Dragon Age 3 as King and Queen if you make that decision. And um, Loghain can also appear in, Dra- in Dragon Age Inquisition if he survives the events of the La- Lands Meet. But as we've mentioned, uh, you can't, I think you can execute 
uh, Loghain or or Alistair or uh, you know, well, I mean, we we went through a number of the ways that the scenario can play through, but uh, but the end result is that um, the the uh, the crown of Denerim or of Ferelden is now supporting the Grey Wardens instead of being hunt- actively hunting them down as Loghain was. So uh, you have your armies assembled um, for the final conflict. And uh, basically you have to, there's a, uh, an attack on Denerim. You have to go through a, the burning city streets, uh, uh, save the elven alienage, do a, do a bunch of other stuff, and then take down the archdemon. But, uh, and, and that's sort of the final battle. But before the final battle, if your affection level with Morrigan is medium to high or higher, she gives you an extra option. Uh, so uh, I believe there are four ways this game is allowed to end. Uh, the Orlesian warden that visits you to, um, to, to help for the final conflict um, tells you that the uh, part of the reasons Grey Wardens are required to fight Blights is because um, the, the soul of the Archdemon will just enter another Darkspawn um, if it dies, but if it enters, but if a Grey Warden is nearby, it'll enter the body of the Grey Warden and uh, and be and be destroyed, uh, and but but also destroy the Grey Warden in the process. So a Grey Warden has to sacrifice themselves to defeat an, an Archdemon. So the four endings that are uh, allowed in this game are the player, the player character, the the hero sacrifices himself, Alistair sacrifices himself, Loghain sacrifices himself, or if you have a, a a good relationship with Morrigan, she will do a dark ritual where um, she uh, um, has sex with either the main with either the main character or Loghain or Alistair, conceives a child, and uh, the child inside of her will absorb the soul of the Archdemon, um, which is weird, and but is but uh, can happen. And if uh, and if you choose that option, you will even meet that child in Dragon Age Inquisition. So uh, how did how did they go for each of you? Did I because I, I, th- I think I mean, my experience is if Morrigan presents the offer, I, I mean, most people say yes, because that's the way that's that everyone can survive. Did uh, did which is the way I went with this time. Did any of you have someone sacrifice themselves to defeat the Archdemon? Uh, I didn't. I uh, I'm looking forward to meeting that child because um, <laughs> Morgan was my main love interest for for the game, uh, and so when that all came up, it was just like it naturally, uh, like of, of course I, I said yes. It, it just felt like natural for for that character arc to to end that way. Um, so yeah, uh, no nobody had to be sacrificed for me. Um, yeah, so I guess I got got the best ending in that sense. Although it's a little bittersweet because um, even though like Morgan confessed that like uh, we developed like a, a real bond together and she she like fell in love in a way that that she never had before, that uh, we couldn't continue to like we we could basically never see each other again after this. So um, yeah, that was that was also the end of of that romance. So uh, it was a really cool cool moment though, and uh, yeah, similar to how. Um, my uh, companion arc with Alistair kind of naturally and and satisfyingly uh, ended with the lands meet. Um, my relationship with Morgan really came to a satisfying end with uh, with this whole scenario. So, uh, worked out for me. 
Now, now, Wes, you're playing a female character, so you mm-hmm. you couldn't you couldn't enter a relationship with Morrigan. But um, uh, did, did uh, Morrigan offer you the ritual? Yes, and in a manner of speaking, I did sacrifice someone because I told Alistair to march into that bedroom and get working. <laughs> I did not realize that would be the that, that, alternative. That that's what happens if, you, if you're if your main character is female, then uh, then it has to be Alistair or, or Loghain that hooks up with Morrigan. I was ill-equipped for the task at hand, so I chose someone who was. And so Alistair will do it even if he's set to marry Anora. Yep. Yes. That's uh. That's uh so long as you're very persuasive. That's even you have better a good because relationship with them. It, it's even better because Alistair and Morrigan maybe have the most contentious relationship, uh, th- dialogue throughout the game. And I mean, I think all three of us had Alistair and Morrigan on our team at the same time at at one point or another. So like their banter is so obviously opposed. The idea of them being forced to hook up is just hysterical to me. Yeah. So I, uh, that, that's not how it went for me this time, but uh, I've, I've seen it and I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't very nice to Alistair near the end of the game, to say the least. He, he Neither- uh, did a lot for me. Well, I actually feel slightly bad that I had to exile Alistair because I, I genuinely love him as a character. And he was my steadfast companion the entire game. I'm not sure he left my party ever until he forced himself into exile. But because I wanted, because again, my very pragmatist, slightly power hungry Grey Warden uh, thought it was the, a good idea to become king himself and also uh, not um, execute Loghain, Alistair had to go. Sorry, buddy. But like, you've been good to me the whole game, but you had to go. But yeah, that's uh, how Dragon Age Origins ends. You become the hero of Ferelden in one way or another, whether you sacrifice yourself or someone else does or nobody does. And then you get a nice uh, meaty epilogue with a lot of um, uh, uh, basically just a lot of sort of epilogue paragraphs under static backgrounds. I telling you, things. yeah, telling you of how of how, uh, of how it went for every scenario and, and most of the characters you interact with. Like this is my this is my favorite part of every Suikoden or Fire Emblem credits seeing what happens to each character in the post game. But uh, do, do any of you have a, a side quest or a character moment or anything that, uh, that uh, was expressed in the end game that you particularly enjoyed? I, I'll, I'll go first. I have one. Um, I, I love the dwarf Smith girl that wants to be a mage. Oh yeah. Yeah. She, it, it's sort of adorable. She knows she can't be a mage, but she's so fascinated by magic that she just reads every book on magic that she can find. And, uh, if you if you've completed the circle magic or the the circle tower quests, uh, you can offer her to become a uh, basically a, uh, a a scholar at the mag- magic tower. And first enchanter Irving is interested in it, so he says, "Sure, why not?" And um, her basically she um she becomes a very successful magic scholar, even though she can't use magic herself, and writes uh some uh illuminating texts on um on the use of magic and enchanting and and, and rune enchanting, which I thought was a a very, very cute, satisfying uh, resolution to that, that little tiny quest line in Orzammar. Yeah, yeah I was uh, surprised that it even got a, a shout-out in the, in the epilogue, because I don't think any other just kind of tangential side quest uh, I completed did. Oh, so a bunch of them was... do. Um, I mean, you, you learn, if you help the dwarf in Orzammar start his, his own chantry, you, hunt, you hear about how an angry mob killed him. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I did not do that. I, I had no interest in that guy out for for reasons I, I i i listed earlier i it's kind of a weird answer but i love the orzammar 
um, epilogue if you sided with Haramont, um, because you find out that his rule broke down pretty quickly, and um, Orzammar is kind of in a weakened position thanks to putting Haramont on the throne. And, you know, Haramont seems like the right choice, the good guy choice, the the one to to keep a real jerk off of the throne, but I like that idea that what feels right isn't necessarily what's right. There's more to it than that. That is and classic that is classic bioware. The option that seems good actually is not as good as you think. The option that seems bad might have a better outcome. Like like they, they don't they don't always flip the script on you, but Bioware I, I feel like it's almost like in a cheeky winking way. Their writing yeah. is like is like, oh, but it won't go as you expect, or oh, but there's a twist. But like, there's, there's, there's so many of them that it, 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 in a way, it's, it's. I don't want to say it's trite or anything, but in a way, it's like, oh yeah, this is classic Bioware. It's not nothing is as it seems, but it's also, I don't know, it, 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 it tickles me in a very specific way that I enjoy it most of the time. The, the reason this one interests me so much is that, you, unlike a lot of the other times, you don't see that pay off to oh things aren't as they seem during gameplay it's not until the epilogue of the game that you get that information that whoops what you did might not have had the effect you intended uh and that i don't know i'm kind of a sucker for that uh we're just gonna throw you feeling a little bit down about your decision at the very end of the game while you're feeling as accomplished as you possibly can i don't know there's something about that that appeals to me as, as a storytelling device it doesn't necessarily have to be an epilogue moment, but Alex, was there a was there a side quest or side activity that gripped you in in, in any way? Uh, in general, I just enjoyed doing the uh, the companion quests, and uh, I, guess, I guess one we haven't talked about is uh, is Morgan's, where you basically discover a grimoire during the Circle Tower quest, and uh, if you give it to her, she uh, deciphers it, and it's like about Flemeth, her mom. And it basically is revealed that uh, the way that Flemeth is able to continuing continue having essentially like an immortal existence is uh, because she uh, consumes her child and turns them into uh, the new Flemeth as some kind of like hybrid Flemethy thing. I'm I'm not saying that right, but I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure how it works. But I, I believe she raises a daughter, and when the daughter becomes a certain age. Um, she, uh, her, her soul leaves her own body and enters her daughter's. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the, the, yeah, the soul of Flemeth lives through all of Flemeth's children and Morgan, uh, did not like the sound of that. So, uh, she basically asked me to go kill her mom, uh, without her there. And, uh, me being the, 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 the solid romantic partner, I said, yes. Uh, but then I went to Flemeth's hut, and uh, if you'll recall, I did not have a second mage at this point because Wynne had uh, left me. Um, so trying to fight Flemeth, this uh, really powerful dragon uh, without a mage, um, was a uh, real pain. Uh, gave it a couple tries, turned, went back to it several times throughout the game as I was gaining levels, and ultimately... Uh, I just didn't want to put any more time into it. So uh, I ended up accepting Flemeth's offer to just take the uh, grimoire uh, from her. And uh, along with a couple other goodies from her house, bring them back to Morgan, lie that I killed her. And and Morgan was, um, she seemed fine. And I didn't have to uh, own up to the fact that I didn't actually kill her in any way. So uh, all's well that ends well, I suppose. 
I, I, I killed her, but I don't think it permanently kills her because Flemeth shows up in the later Dragon Age games, whether you kill her or not here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not I'm not exactly certain how everything works with her. I don't I don't want to spoil events of future games. So I won't I won't uh, go any further than that. But but, but she's when... probably she's probably the second or third hardest enemy in the game after the the high dragon in uh at guarding the urn and Gax Kang. Oh, did either of you fight Gax Kang? I tried and uh, I was not strong enough. Who's Gax Kang? He is a revenant. He's the strongest like NPC in the game. Um, you need to find, I think it's three items. It's like one in the deep roads, one in Orzammar, and one in the woods or something of uh of of this uh of, of this like this strongest demon oh, yeah. that, that that's shown up throughout history and then uh and and then you go to a secret uh door in Denerim and uh defeat Gax Kang who switches between uh a revenant and a oh and an arcane horror he switches forms between those between a mage and warrior and and rogue form I, I did actually fight him. It was that that it took to jog my memory, the fact that he alters between those forms. Yeah, and uh, if you beat him, he gives you the Keening Blade, which is one of the strongest swords in the game and has a random chance of dropping one of a couple other things. So it's like, so it's like, uh, it, it's, it's either like the, the sword and a ton of money or the sword and rare potions or the sword and uh, a, an excellent shield as well. Like those are the things that can drop. Maybe more than I'm not remembering, but but anyway, uh, I, I yeah, I killed Flemeth and Gax Kang and the dragon, and uh, I just I just did most of the stuff I could in this game because I, I was enjoying it so much. I really really love this. Uh, I, I love Dragon Age Oranges. I haven't played it in eight or nine years, so this was uh, this was nostalgic and uh and and fun for me. And I yeah, I I threw fifty hours in, and I also just beat the Awakening expansion um less than twenty four <laughs> hours ago, so. Listeners, if you look at my social media, you'll have an idea of when this recording takes place. Uh, and yeah, and yeah, and Awakening is good too. It's a, it's a twelve-hour full self-contained game where you can either import your or your warden from Oranges, or if your warden's dead or you don't want to use the same character, you can say, "Oh, a new warden's arrived in in Ferelden from Orlay, and they're they're taking control of this garrison." Where you where you sort of run if keep and keep peace in a city. And uh, and fighting new some some new darkspawn behaving oddly. I'm I'm avoiding spoilers here. There's a, a lot of decision points and a lot of different outcomes. Um, I actually unexpectedly had to fight one of my own companions at the very end of the game, which was a, which was a surprise. I that had never happened to me when I played Awakening years and years ago. But yeah, it's it's not as good as the base game of Origins, but it's very very good. And if a 12 to 15 hour sequel to this game sounds interesting to you then it's worth playing uh this is mostly directed at alex who i know mm-hmm. is is who i know is at least awakening curious i have a physical copy being shipped to my place as we speak ex- <laughs> ex- excellent <laughs> but uh listeners we're not gonna do an episode on dragon age awakening i i think there is a non-zero chance we have a fine a follow-up episode with the same crew for dragon age 2 because I mean, we spoke a little bit before recording. All three of us are very interested in playing more Dragon Age in the next few months. So I think we're I think we're going to do like one episode on Dragon Age two a couple months from now because that is something that all three of us are interested in. Or but I, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Does that sound good to y'all? Oh yeah, yeah. All right. So I'm listeners, <laughs> excellent. So listeners, you can expect some Dragon Age two content from us 
uh, in the next few months. But uh, I don't know exactly when that'll be. Uh, let's let's talk about the future of Retro Encounter. Um, we are doing an episode on Lunar the Silver Star next week. Um, we before the RPG Fan 25th anniversary, we're putting up multiple reviews of Lunar, new reviews of Lunar the Silver Star on different versions. So we're going to be having a podcast comparing and contrasting and discussing those different versions of Lunar um, next week. And again, because RPG Fan began life as LunarNet uh, 25 years ago, uh, Lunar is a game very near and dear to our hearts here. But after that episode, we're doing our annual year in review episode about our our favorite games of the of the calendar year. It's usually the least retro episode of Retro Encounter in a given year, um, but uh, we're going to keep doing it. And I already have some thoughts to share about your uh, Traveler's Octopath and your Diver's Dave. So we'll see uh, exactly how that goes. It has not recorded yet, but also not recorded yet. We're, we have um, most of January planned out. We are doing two episodes on Super Mario RPG's remake that uh, landed in November um, uh, and a, a bunch of people in RPG fan have played it and are excited to talk about it. And then two episodes on Moon Remix RPG Adventure, that classic Japanese anti-RPG from the late 90s that uh, finally got a playable ver- official version in English in uh, 2020 or 2021. So um, I, please look forward to Super Mario RPG, Moon Remix RPG Adventure, and episode 400 in January, I know we're aware that uh, 395 is alarmingly close to 400. Uh, all of those coming in the next few months. But uh, listeners, if you want to reach out to us as a podcast, the best way to do so is email retro at rpgfan.com. RPG Fan also has two other fine podcasts, Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness, Rhythm Encounter every two weeks about rhythmness. Uh, please support all three of our podcasts, whether you listen to them on Apple Podcasts or Google or Spotify or however you prefer. Uh, we love feedback. You can also support RPG Fan as a site on Facebook or on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Discord, YouTube, Twitch, all kinds of ways to support RPG Fan. But uh, the, maybe the most direct way is to buy something at the RPG Fan merch store. If you go to RPGFan.com slash shop, you can find apparel, coffee mugs, phone covers, all manner of things emblazoned with the RPG Fan Emerald Shield, including some very snazzy 25th anniversary limited edition items. But... uh Mostly, I just want to thank you um, because I, this is this podcast gave me an opportunity to replay a game that I haven't played in so long, but never replayed because I felt like, well, if I'm not playing a new game or if I'm not playing something for the podcast, I feel like my video game time is is not being wasted, but not being spent in the most optimal way. So this podcast let me revisit an old classic that I truly love. And I thank you, uh, Wes and Alex, for the opportunity to do so. And I also thank you, the listeners, for listening to us and keeping this podcast going. So uh, thank you, especially to you, Alex and Wes. But all right, there's enough sentimentality for me. Let's uh, tell the listeners how they can find us, starting with you, Alex. You can just email me at alexfranicek at gmail.com. Now, Wes. You can find me on Twitter at Wes Iliff or on Blue Sky at Lone Weasel. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at The Real Monsoon, on Blue Sky at Evoker for Dogs, and on RPG Fans Discord, I'm Monsoon Mike. So, uh, you know, Alex, I don't know if you knew this, but Dragon Age 2 really, really is centered around the Templars versus Mages conflict. Mm. So uh, I- I'm thinking maybe I'll play that game, um, spec into Blood Magic, and then play Dragon Age Blood Oranges. Thank you. Good night and good luck.